The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Welcome back to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. So glad you're here listening today. My name is Kate Setter, and I am your host. And this is season three of Young and Healthy, and we are thrilled to be kicking off this season with an episode that is going to, I hope, resonate with parents of teenagers, because we are going to be talking today about protecting our students' mental health during the testing season of ACTs and SATs, which are coming up for many high school students here soon um, in the calendar. And joining me for this conversation today, um, we are thrilled to have Superintendent Ironetta Wright with us today. She's a superintendent at Cincinnati Public Schools, and we really wanted to have an educator as part of this conversation. Superintendent Wright, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. And also in the studio with us is Dr. Brian Kurtz, who is a child and adolescent psychiatrist here at Cincinnati Children's and a great protector of mental health in our um, in our kids. And we're so thrilled you're here, Dr. Kurtz. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I think let's just dive right in. And where I would love to start, um, Superintendent Wright, what are the ACT and SAT tests? And what are the scenarios in which students take each of them? So both ACT and SAT are considered college readiness exams. Uh, They're used for a variety of reasons, um, but mostly it is looking at where students, where it's assumed that students perform uh, as they're entering into college. So the ACT is uh, an achievement type test that is more like what students see in the curriculum every day. So you see English, math, science, and social studies. The SAT, while it's changed a little bit over the last several years, it's really more an exam of critical thinking of analytical reasoning. Years ago, it was just really um, designed around strong English and math students. That, that was really the assessment that they it was recommended for them, but that's changed quite a bit over the last several years. Uh, the scores may or may not be used since COVID. Uh, uh, more and more schools are moving away from using those those two scores just as, the, as one of the indicators for entry. Um, so it may or may not be used for, for college exam entrance, but it's still use quite a bit to determine whether or not students are ready, quote unquote, for for college. Um, and the other is, you know, neither of the assessments are particularly easier than the other. It really just depends on what, how students respond and what students are most comfortable with. Do all students take both or do some take one or the other? It's really up to the student. So we offer ACT um, because that's one of the areas, that's one of the tests that we use in Ohio for also determining whether or not a student is is ready to graduate. It's one of the indicators uh, that students can use depending on how they perform uh, on their other assessments. But uh, it's really up to the child as to whether or not they take ACT or SAT or a combination of both. It is recommended that whichever one they choose to go with, um, that they take it one between one to three times before mm-hmm. they actually go to school because most of the colleges that look at the assessment for the purpose of merit scholarship or any other kind of um, 
um, any other kind of scholarship students would receive, they, they take the best of the subscores most of the time. So if you take the test in November and you take it again in February, but you do better on one subset in November and better on an another one in February, then they take the collection of the best scores. So that's why it's recommended to take it more than one time. That does sound like it would be valuable to, mm -hmm. to give it. You just never know right. what's going to happen on any given day. So students and sometimes their parents um, tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves or on their kids to do well on these tests. How important are they truly? Well, you know, it really depends on the post-secondary institutions of choice and or scholarship needs and el eligibility. Um, you know, since 2020, as I shared earlier, many institutions have made both the ACT and or the SAT optional for regular general admission. Uh, and that really came about, at, it, you know, as a byproduct of what we dealt with through COVID. Mm -hmm. um, the students were just um, dealing with a lot. The, the tests at that time were set up where they were all in person as students were doing the assessments. And so uh, we had to make provisions for students to do that. And, and so it really just depends on the child, on where they're going to school, on what that school is requiring in terms of the overall importance. So as an educator um, who is observing students in their learning environment every day, what is it that you see this time of year that concerns you about how some students approach testing or some of the things that could be concerning this time of year? While our conversation today is specific to ACT and SAT, I, I would agree that it is across the board with any assessments. You know, this is what we call testing season. And so we're taking our state assessments and students are taking college readiness assessments. They're taking assessments to determine whether or where they score and whether or not they go into the military. And so it's really important that we talk to students about their post-secondary goals, um, that we provide safe spaces for them to talk about how they're feeling, that we encourage them to go in and do their best um, and really try hard to remove the pressure of making a particular score or a, the pressure of saying this is the expectation as you go in uh, because they're dealing with a lot and it's a lot of the thought of, around it and you know especially schools that still use it as a indicator for entry into the school it's a lot for students to think about whether or not I go into the assessment and am I going to make this score. So it's really, really, really a gender balancing act. Dr. Kurtz, coming to you for a couple of minutes. Um, so when you're looking at the mental health of students and um, the students who are your patients sometimes, what do you see around kind of this testing time of the year that causes concern for you? Uh, absolutely. So I think um, it's the normal state of affairs to worry about a big test that is going to have I implications. Like Superintendent Wright was mentioning, um, potentially um, post-secondary programs that uh, folks are looking at colleges, but also scholarships. So um, I think that, that young people and, and their caregivers are aware that the stakes can be reasonably high. Um, so I, I think it's, again, normal to, to worry about it. But I, I think um, one of the biggest uh, uh, challenges that I see is when folks feel both that the stakes are very high, it's very important for them to do well, but also that they feel like they don't have uh, the ability to 
impact uh, their uh, performance uh, so that the outcome is sort of uh, pre-written, that it's not going to be adequate. Um, so I think that, uh, that when folks feel like the stakes are high and I can't sort of really influence this, then I think the natural reaction would be to feel hopeless in that situation. And so I think um, I've definitely encountered teenagers uh, where they've certainly, um, you know, taken in the message that it's very, very important that they uh, they score highly on these, but they, they feel like they're not able to do that for various reasons. And I think um, being able to have conversations with, uh, with folks along the lines of what uh, Superintendent Wright was saying, um, where we uh, can talk with them about how they're feeling, about how they're interpreting where these tests fit within the larger um, you know, process of college admission or uh, things like that, I think can be really helpful um, without sort of being able to convey some some information, some, some facts about the, the process. Uh, I think people are left to catastrophize and, and to really just imagine these terrible outcomes. I'm going to do poorly on this test, and that means that all of the things that I want to have happen in my future won't be able to happen. It begins to spiral, I think, for some individuals. So it sounds like perhaps um, the preparation is something that the students can control. And that was actually going to be my next question about the prep classes. And I think they're online, they're in person. Is that extra preparation a good idea for students who are um, taking these tests? I think that it definitely can be. Um, you know, my daughter is just grad. One of my my older daughter just graduated, and my uh, older daughter is in has just entered her senior year. So this is very new and fresh to me, even as a parent. And one of the things that's really important is to have the conversation about preparation early, um, because what happens oftentimes is, you know when procrastination happens, then it allows more of the challenges to set in. It allows more of the frustration to set in. So really having the conversations early about preparation and what preparation is going to look like. I think the other thing that's really important about preparation classes, and there are classes that students can take, um, there are courses that they can take. There also There's a lot of information online, different online platforms. But one of the things that that does is it gives the students a parallel experience. It lets them know what they're walking into, what they might see as they look at the assessment, and really that it's aligned very much to what they see in school every day. Um, so that really takes some of the anxiety away when they know how they're going to be assessed. And again, that's for any assessment. I think it's also important that parents work with their children around their learning style, uh, because depending on their learning style, it, it could help determine their best way to study. You know, for some students, it's better for them to do it in person. For other students, online works well for them. For others, if they're doing flashcards with information on it, it works best for them. So really, once they know the learning style, they know the best way to prepare for it. And I think the last around preparation for me would really be working with children around their personal best, uh, really having conversations with them around always showing up and doing their personal best. Um, because one of the things that we notice with many of the assessments, uh, ACT and SAT included, we may be shooting for a score and you can go 
go through the process and learn how the scoring happens. But as you're taking the assessment, you have no idea whether or not you're going to make that particular score. Mm -hmm. So really the focus, not on the score, but making the focus on your personal best, because once you've actually done your personal best, then you see where the score is. And if there's other work that has to happen, then it gives you more in terms of preparation. How do you feel about the preparation, Dr. Kurtz? Yeah, I, I think um, Superintendent Wright's points are, are, are very well taken. I think um, whenever you have a novel situation, that's immediately going to um, cause folks' anxiety to spike, right? So we talked about we know the stakes are high, and when there's the, the situation feels completely new and unfamiliar, um, people are going to be more anxious. We would expect some um uh, you know, sacrifice in in the performance when when things are completely novel. So I think that there's a lot to be said for. I'm familiar enough with what's going to happen here, what kinds of questions are going to be on the test, and what the testing environment is going to be like, so that I'm mm-hmm. gonna that I really am able to provide my personal best. Um, I think that um, it can. I, I think for for some young people, um, there there are other experiences. Um, you know, that they might make an analogy to would be uh, something like, um, I don't know, like an athletic team or something like that. And they're thinking about sort of the role of practice. I think one way in which this is different is that, um, you know, you can you can really train um, to, um, you know, perform better and better and better over time at athletics. But I don't think that that's the case uh, for these tests. And I think you can you can be at your best by being familiar with how they how they work. Um, and like Superintendent Wright was saying, the fact that actually they are going to ask you about things that if you've been kind of showing up uh, and participating in class and actively engaged in your academic progress, that, you know, these, these tests are designed to um, ask, uh, you know, to assess uh, how well you've done at those things rather than, you know, something really sort of out there uh, and novel. So I think that's the biggest benefit to, to practice um, and, and getting some preparation there. I think that there are some folks where there's a disconnect. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes I see caregivers who are not aware that the level of the intensity of the of the pressure that is being felt by the young person is um, is so great that the 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 quote unquote preparation is actually sort of hampering them. You know, it's just it's it's simply an in your face reminder of um yeah, the stakes are really high. This is super important. Don't fail. Um, and I think you know. So so, so there's a, there are individuals where um, y- you want to make sure that you sort of get to just the right amount of preparation and not overdoing it. Are there any types of unnecessary preparation that either of you have heard of or seen that families can confidently opt out of? Just know that it's going to be a bit too much. I don't, I don't know that I would say that there is unnecessary preparation. I would really go back to what I shared earlier about knowing what the best style is for the individual child. So some students work better by themselves. Some, mm-hmm. some need in-person uh, sessions. Some need small group tutoring. Some like group sessions. Some are better, um, better supported when they're working with a peer. So it really just depends on listening to, to the child mm-hmm. to determine what they feel is most advantageous to them and the way that they learn. And then eliminate what's done based on that, um, but going 
in, I don't know that I would say, you know, this is the wrong type of preparation. So I would not include that one. And, and I would agree with Superintendent Wright. I think one situation that, that I have uh, sometimes encountered is, is a family is so focused on uh, preparation uh, that maybe there's uh, something else being excluded. So I'm thinking about a, a young person who really wanted to try out for the spring musical in their uh, in their high school. They felt like they couldn't because there wasn't space for them both to prepare for an exam and to do something that they really loved. I feel like that's a missed opportunity to kind of put into perspective, you know, what 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 is the best preparation for this particular individual for the test, and hopefully it doesn't need to count, uh, you know, uh, to cut out other things that, that that are potentially really valuable. Sounds like balance is important in listening to the student, and um, and I agree because participating in something like a spring musical helps the child have that balance between the tough stuff that requires work and something that might be more fun for them as well as kind of leading to that whole child wellness of happiness and mental health. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's one of those things that's never going to show up on a standardized test. But having the kind of creativity, the artistic expression, uh, being able to enjoy the the social environment of working together with other young people to put on a musical like th- that's those are really valuable things um, and those also potentially are going to impact um, you know if you're looking to explain who you are in a college application that's going to be important too so what strategies can students use on test day to be as successful as possible I think it's important to recognize that there is a skill to taking test. And so it's it's necessary to, again, have some level of interaction with the assessment that you're walking into before you actually walk into the assessment. And so making sure that you know what that balance is is really important. On the day of the test, I think what works on uh, ACT and SAT is the same thing that works on any assessment. You know, you want to go in, um, you want to answer all the questions to the best of your ability. Uh, you want to make sure that you are as relaxed as possible. Um, if you have exercised the muscle of test taking in terms of time, you know, be cognizant of time um, as you're taking the assessment. Um, but most importantly, I think, is breathing and doing your best, uh, recognizing that you have come into a situation you are you are as prepared as you can possibly be and you're going to go in you're going to do your best and and I think as long as you're focusing in those areas uh, then the day of the test there's really you you've max, maximized what you can do on the day of absolutely and I think what I would add to that maybe is how we think about in situations where um, people are naturally nervous we talked about the test is going to be one of those situations um, the the idea of positive self-talk is the, the way that you coach yourself through something that you're nervous about um, and ideally there's uh, there's been a chance to practice that skill as well as well but you know kind of be able to to look around the room and say like you know I know that most of the people in this room are feeling nervous about this test, just like I am. Um, we're all going to, you know, pick up our, our pencils and, and do our best at this test and um, and hopefully kind of, you know, uh, have uh, 
an accurate assessment. And, um, you know, even though I feel nervous about this, I can be brave at doing hard things if I try. Uh, it, it sounds a little bit corny, but I think being able to um, kind of check in with yourself about how you're feeling, uh, like Superintendent Wright said, take a few deep breaths um, and uh, to be able to say like, okay, now I'm going to go into test taking mode. I've had some exposure to this, you know, before the test day. So I'm, I'm going to just kind of tap into that and uh, get in my zone and, and do my best. And I think I would add one more thing. You know, the test dates as they're put out are national dates. So it's really important that as you are looking at the day that you're going to test, it's probably not best to do that after a big football game the night before or after a, a huge event um, that you've just had because you do want to go in as well rested as possible so that your mind is clear. You know, things like eating a good breakfast, the things that, that we talk to children about um, every time they're going into to an, an assessment or even as they're going to school from, from day one, those things are still important uh, for these types of tests as well. So just remembering um, that you want to have a little bit of management in terms of time on the front end and scheduling to make sure that you're not adding pressure to yourself or adding additional frustration because the time that you schedule to take the test is probably not the best time. And I've had uh, teenagers who we needed to talk about like, okay, so you've you've got this part-time job. You need to request time off uh, both for the day of the exam, but also probably for the day before so that you can make sure that you're, you know, as relaxed and well-rested as possible. Absolutely. So the period of waiting between taking the test and getting the results can be a really difficult time for some students. What advice can we share about how to support students who are, who are waiting for their results? So I would say first recognize and, and encourage them to recognize that the test is done. Uh, once you've actually taken the assessment, there isn't anything else that you can do. And so you can't go back and change answers. You, there's not new information that you can learn that will then allow you to change those answers. Um, so just, just really relish in the accomplishment of completing the test, I think, is the first. Uh, the second, I would say, is recognizing that all of the scores come out at the same time. And so that's important, uh, knowing how you're going to get your score is important. So making sure that you have um, access to the portal that's going to give you your score. And because our students get the scores at the same time, they also act as support for one another. Mm -hmm. um, but also having a game plan for what you do next if you did not score at the level that you wanted to score. So if you scored where you wanted to score, or if you made the goal that you set for yourself, then you know that that's pretty easy to, to deal with. Sometimes it's not easy if you have something else in mind. So really having a plan for after the fact for what you do next. But the, but the main thing while you're waiting is knowing that it's done, you did your best, and you'll deal with the rest of it when it comes. Yeah, I, th I, I would echo everything Superintendent Wright said. I, I think, you know, uh, understanding that um, there will be many folks who will feel a, a little or a lot disappointed with their scores, um, but um, to kind of recognize that that is um, not a uh, a reflection of their personal worth, um, that you are more than, you know, the number of questions that you got right on the standardized exam. Um, and there are opportunities for you um, typically to... Um, you know, give it another go, especially if the test really, the test taking experience wasn't reflective of, you know, potentially your ability to, to show um, where your achievement level is. 
I definitely like that idea of this isn't it. Like there, there's an opportunity to take it again, perhaps up to three times. And that's probably a good way to help with that as well. If it comes in, it's no big deal. We do it again. And then you really, you've done it once and you know what we're walking into. Um, I'd be curious to hear each of your thoughts about students sharing their scores with each other and whether that's good idea, bad idea. I know you said that they're there to support each other. Um, how have you seen that play out? What do you think on that one? You know, I really think it's an individual student's decision as to whether or not they share their score. Um, I have responses on both sides of that as mm-hmm. to whether it's a good thing or not such a great thing. Um, I do think it's important that as a school and as a school district that we um, make sure that we reiterate that scores on these assessments don't go into GPAs or GPA or class rankings. Um, you know, it's not the one thing that determines uh, what happens with the students in terms of that. And so outside of that, you know, it, it affects people in different ways. Um, so it really has to be, in my opinion, it has to be up to the individual child. Yeah, I think um, people are going to do it. They're going to share their um, their scores for sure. Uh, it has pluses and minuses. Opportunities for support is definitely a plus. Um, most teenagers that I talk to are actually pretty savvy about how things can go, how things can feel in terms of competitiveness. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the conversations that I've had is, you know, um, how does it feel to see friends posting things on Instagram that either, you know, make you feel like they um, – that you're not on the same sort of level of performance in, in whatever sort of aspect of life um, as they are? Um, and how can you be sensitive about um, – uh, both being able to be appropriately proud of your accomplishments, but also uh, recognizing that um, it's a mixed thing to to hear folks' uh, results on on standardized exams. So, um, I think being able to for for caregivers to be able to maybe have a little bit of that discussion so that it feels like it's more of a of a a conscious decision for young people to decide how public they want to be with their score. Um, and I think also maybe being able to anticipate, like, you know, if you are disappointed, then, you know, it's you may feel embarrassed. Uh, you, you didn't you may, you set a goal out there. Um, you know, you called that this is what you were hoping for. And then when you didn't get it. Um, so, you know, just being able to kind of talk through those things, uh, I think, can be really beneficial. I like that idea of having a conversation ahead of time to kind of feel out the student about their feelings on is this something you want to do and how are we going to handle it if others share in a way that, you know, doesn't feel good to you. Um, here's how we're going to process that. Because um, I think a plan ahead of time helps a lot of kids. For sure. And it, and it opens that conversation with the caregiver to say, okay, it happened, so-and-so got this great score and now I'm feeling like mine wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, so I would love for us to kind of wrap up our conversation with just any final words, um, anything that you'd like to add that we haven't already talked about um, or advice to share with parents of the students who are um, going to be taking these assessments soon. 
I, I think one of the things that I will also elevate um, that I don't think we've talked about is starting to take the assessment early. Um, before the stakes, the stakes are so high. So we referenced that there are many schools that are becoming test optional. So in the test optional schools, you may not have to submit an ACT or an SAT score, or, or if you have to submit it, it's not included in terms of entry. Uh, but starting early, so you know this is testing season, you have 11th and 12th grade students that are looking to really um, get into the schools that they're looking to get into, and so that's really where you see some of the conversations start. Um, for ACT, a student, depending on when they take it, they could take the assessment up to 12 times before it's time for them to enter into college if they're starting at the, at the 11th grade level. And for SAT, it's almost unlimited, the number of times that a student can actually take it. So starting to think about, it doesn't help for this testing season, but in the future as parents are listening, if you have other children or if, as you're talking to other parents, you know, starting to take the assessments early just so that by the time it's actually actually time for it to count for for the child, they've already had some familiarity. They've already had some exposure, um, and I think it changes the way that they interact with the assessment. I think the last thing that I would say is really working with our children around understanding that there is not any one thing that is the end-all, be-all to anything. And so even if you have done your very best and it did not turn out the way that you wanted to, you wanted it to, it's important to know that there are other opportunities. Uh, there mm -hmm. is not and so, you know, so many things sometimes for our kids, they just get final. And we want them to know that this is just not one of those things. Um, we make choices. Um, hopefully the choices that we make uh, don't cause the kind of finality that sometimes our students think about. Um, but in terms of the assessments and, and, and as we're moving through this season, knowing that there are other opportunities, once you give it your all, uh, if it does not turn out the way that you want it to turn out, let's determine what the game plan is. Let's work with the individuals that are in the school site to determine if there are additional resources that might be of, of, of availability, if there are additional supports, if there are additional tutoring that can happen. But more than anything, realizing that um, there is nothing that's just the end to everything. So making sure that you're keeping an open mind and that we're encouraging them and that we're not being uh, the one that is the bear of some of the frustration that comes along with the assessments. And I would say um, the, uh, it, you know, the, the experience of taking these tests uh, causes nervousness. We've, we've talked about that. That's the, that's the common experience of them. But we would think a little bit of differently about individuals who um, uh, are already maybe dealing with an anxiety disorder, uh, maybe dealing with uh, major depressive disorder. Uh, and, and some of it gets down to the fact that um, uh, the way that you think about um, the the stakes of the exam uh, and the fact that you maybe believe that you're not going to be successful at it, we know that these are, uh, sometimes we'll call them cognitive distortions or just kind of thinking errors that people might have. Uh, I mentioned catastrophizing earlier, uh, kind of imagining the worst possible outcome. So uh, while these are thoughts that may flash into the, the head of any young person, sometimes they really get stuck in the brains of, in, uh, you know, of, of young people who have depression or anxiety. And so just recognizing that um, the, some of the things that we've talked about, about reframing uh, the importance of them, 
them, being able to, you know, kind of reality check of like, you know, you probably have another opportunity. Those are going to be less effective for folks that are dealing with uh, mental health conditions. And so being able to, for those folks to be able to get access to, to treatment, um, working with a counselor, uh, you know, uh, working with mental health providers um, can be a really important piece of them being able to be as healthy as possible as they navigate this challenging uh, experience. Those were excellent closing thoughts. Thank you both so much for that. And thank you both for your time and your expertise to um, put together this information for families. I'm grateful to both of you. Appreciate your time. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. This episode of Young and Healthy was recorded on January 17th, 2023. The content of the Young and Healthy Podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. And a huge thank you to Bo McMillan, who produced this episode as Symphony is out on leave. So we'll be seeing a lot of Bo. Thank you very much for that, sir.